Welcome to We Hear Her. I am Erin Trenbeth Murray. And I am Jennifer Bean. We're here today with another amazing woman who's sharing her story and insights to lessons learned. Hi, I'm Erin Trenbeth Murray, and thank you for joining the We Hear Her podcast for women who succeed. I am so incredibly happy today to have someone that I have admired and looked up to for so many years, and that is Superintendent Sydney Dixon with the Utah State Board of Education. And later in the podcast, we'll get a little bit further into how I know Superintendent, but I, she lets me call her Sid, which I am so grateful for, um, but has a long, rich history in education, um, has led so many teams and initiatives, and is just doing an exceptional job leading our educational system in Utah right now. So with that, thank you so much, Superintendent, for being here today and chatting with me. So Superintendent, I am so happy to have you here today, and I would love for you to share a little bit about your educational path, and then what led you to being Superintendent for the state of Utah? Wow, well, in brief, <laughs> yeah. because it's a, you know, it's a 41 year, history of education so yeah. in a one minute soundbite <laughs> uh, you know well that I was a rural child mm -hmm. raised in rural Utah in Antimony Utah I'm very proud of that went to a two-room schoolhouse where my grandmother was my teacher I didn't know that and she wow. was just so incredibly magical and I don't know that I ever thought about going to college or being a teacher or any of that it was not really in my DNA mm -hmm. um, to go to college and so I had this opportunity all through my schooling of teachers who would tap me and say, you know, you're smarter than you're letting on, or you can do better, or do your mm -hmm. best work, or try out for this, or have you thought about running for student body officer? So all these, all these mentors, the adult mentors in my life who kind of pushed me and nudged me and, and helped me see the possibilities and provide me with access to college. Mm -hmm. So from a two-room schoolhouse to having five degrees, including a doctorate, um, that's my education journey. Thanks. In a nutshell. <laughs> Thanks to adults in my life. Uh, in terms of my role as state superintendent, definitely not on my bucket list, but I was a teacher, still am a teacher. Um, it's, you know, my primary role is that of a teacher and being so child-centered and focused mm -hmm. that my journey to get to this point was just full of a lot of opportunities, educational opportunities, including being a school counselor. So I was a teacher first, school counselor, uh, a principal, vice principal, worked in a district office and ended up coming to the state to try and provide support for our teachers and administrators. And then just ended up loving policy work and uh, sort of that broader brush of education statewide. Mm -hmm. And again, somebody said, why not you when the opportunity came up? And that's right. That, why that not should me? be our mantra always. Why not me? Why not you? I love that. That's how I ended up here. The neat, so many things, so much in there that, to, that we could dive into. First, I'd love to know what you taught. What, what grades are? Taught elementary school, so fourth and sixth grade. Oh, I didn't know that. When I was a principal, I had a uh, routine of mm -hmm. going into my teacher's classrooms and taking their class so that they could mm -hmm. step out and you know take care of, of mm -hmm. whatever it was, lesson plans or calling a parent or... Um, and so every time I would do that in the younger grades, especially kindergarten, my kindergarten teachers would say, 
Thank you so much, but please don't come back. But don't <laughs> I would just get the, I would get the kids too wound up. So upper grades, and then uh, ended up wanting to to grow in my profession and get some help with counseling families and mm -hmm. students, and ended up in a counseling program. And that's actually how I left the classroom because I loved it so much. I wanted to do it full time. Oh my goodness, the beauty of it is that you were at the micro level. You saw a little bit broader, a little bit broader, and then ultimately that really big visionary thinking, as you said, that broad strokes. Um, you work with the legislature, obviously, intensely. You work with um, PTA and parents and policymakers and state go government so, so very much. Is there a favorite part of your job that you have that you really gravitate towards? You're like, when I get to do this, it feeds my soul. Indeed, uh, going into schools, it's my mm. favorite part of my job because anytime then a policy is put in place, whether it's a board rule or a piece of legislation, I can have real time, real boots on the ground examples of how will it will impact the classroom. How, mm -hmm. how will it impact our students? How will it impact families? And that's really important to me to have those very visceral and visual reminders of how things play out in our education system. And I have been to every district. I've been to a lot of charters. Mm. And so I feel like I have an example and an exemplar mm. in every single region of this state. I think that when I think of you often, that there's this very strong North Star. You're, um, what's the word? Driven in a way that is definitely student-centered, student-focused. You can tell, it, come, it just exudes from you that the student comes first and then how does that broaden to, to policy what is it like for you knowing that at the end of the day when you're able to say that was a good thing today that decision i made was so difficult and we've been sitting on it but the decision i made today is going to impact thousands and thousands of kids lives it's the blessing of the weight mm -hmm. of the, the, the burden, the responsibility of the job and the joy of when you see the success. What, what is that like for you, that experience of kind of those huge highs, those huge lows that you experience in such a big role? Well, I think it's a misnomer that I make decisions that way. <laughs> I, I don't work in a vacuum. It's not my way anyway. But given my role, I have 15 bosses that I report to sure. an elected board of education. So big systemic changes are driven by the board. And then, you know, we have uh, policymakers on the Hill that I also navigate, negotiate with, and parent groups and mm -hmm. superintendents and local boards of education. So my role is cheerleader in chief, mm -hmm. which means that I'm, I advocate either for or against a policy. And so that victory is when we collectively, education stakeholders, make a decision, uh, and it, you know, it, it may be my idea, but mm -hmm. more often than not, I'm trying to champion something else, something mm -hmm. else. And so, working together and leveraging what infrared power I have in this role, mm -hmm. uh, and seeing that come to fruition, is it is very satisfying when I know it's in the best interests of kids and the mm -hmm. adults who serve them. Yeah. But it has to be a we. I there's very little that I've done on my own, especially in this role that has made a, a huge difference other than just working every day to make something happen that is more of a collective effort. Well, I know you're incredibly, um, your work ethic is 
insane, humble for sure. And I know you're a servant leader, right? And the ultimate leaders, those that are surrounding themselves with the team and giving them the pats on the back. And, and then when tough things happen, um, it can land on your shoulders, I'm sure, that make it challenging. Or it's not even within your, maybe within your auspice, but there's a tragedy or something that happens to a student in a school district. How do you emotionally and mentally grapple with when there's something that is um, really heartbreaking um, in, and it's somehow tied to the school system? That you don't take it personal or, you know, how, how, do, you, how do you keep a, a nice emotional balance with that? That's a great question. I think, um, you, you know, for me, it's all about relationships mm -hmm. and you build those first. So when something happens, then you're mourning with the people who are closest to the situation. You're um, holding them in, in your heart and in your thoughts and in your actions. And um, it, it's all about just caring for people. And that that's kind of a broad group. It's not just about teachers and principals, it's about custodians and it's about school secretaries. It's about everybody in the maintenance department. You know, things that happen impact so many people and COVID, boy, did that bring that home to me. You know, you had to think about everybody. Everybody. In the, in the system, keeping people safe, keeping them employed, employed. You know, with the adults, keeping children fed. So to answer your question in a, in a summary or a brief way, it's really foundational. It's Maslow's hierarchy. Mm -hmm. It's just those basic needs of emotional safety and support. And, and you have to, you can't do that artificially to say, I'm a state superintendent and I'm here to help you. Right. It's, you know, I'm Sid. And because I know you or um, because I know about you, tell me how you're feeling. What can I do to help? So that's, you know, that's the approach I try to take. And whether it's helpful or not, I don't know, but it's authentic. Instead mm -hmm. of using the role, it's using your heart. Right. I, I would think, obviously, at times that's got to be overwhelming a bit, but also then invigorating when you're able to influence or advocate or support in some regard. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm thinking back to that March where I got the call from, from Governor Her then Governor Herbert saying, I need you to come and stand by me. I'm going to close schools. <laughs> and what came to mind were the 670,000 kids in our system. What does yeah. that mean for them, for their families? You know, the almost 40,000 teachers, counselors, everybody that works in the system, all the classified employees. Right. Like, what does that mean? What's that going to look like to say, we're closed for two weeks, and then the next two weeks, it, you know, it just kept going on. And that was such a heavy burden to feel, knowing that everybody was experiencing that with, varying degrees of success and unknowing and I think it's that it's that unknowing whatever the situation is what's going to happen next what's going to happen to me that that not knowing or the unknowing of circumstance mm -hmm. for me that's the hardest well because you're such lift. a problem solver you know you are a doer you are an activator you are a resolver you fix things like the solutions and I would imagine that would be a, a feeling of helplessness, a vulnerability at least, like right. uh, this is beyond anything any of us have ever done. Or uh, We don't have anything to pull out of our bag of tricks. We haven't done this before. So here we go into this total unknown. And I'm, I'm okay going into the unknown. Yeah. I, I lean into the unknown. Uh -huh. I just know what it does for the system, you know, uh -huh. because they need consist, they meaning 
children and adults and everybody. They they want to know there's a, an anchor that they can hold on to, mm -hmm. and what is that anchor? Where's their stability? Um, so uh, you know our educators are flexible, mm -hmm. but it COVID affected everything, families and the economy, and it just in, impacted so much. I'm so proud of our educators for plowing through that. Mm. But in that moment, Aaron, we we didn't know. You didn't know. Mm -hmm. You know nobody knew, and there's still a lot we don't know. But but there are a lot of things that we do know. And right. That's been the exciting part. Things that we've uncovered and discovered and reconfigured and we're you know we're finding ways to do things better than ever before so you said you lean into it which i can totally see you doing bold and courageous and like kind of and, and leaning into that where do you think that came from did you have a role model or mentor that that you saw do that and emulate that behavior wow um some of it comes from my rural roots sure you know rural communities are some of the the teachers and the, the adults in rural communities are some of the most creative I've ever met. Because you make do and you figure it out. Figure it out. And as a kid, it was all about imagination and play. And um, so I think I was pretty brave as a kid. Uh, growing up, especially, you know, junior high years can be brutal on a lot of people. We moved when I was 10 and um, moved from a a community of 100 people to one of maybe 14,000 in the entire county. Mm -hmm. So a little bigger, it was huge to me. Um, and navigating some of those spaces and having a mother who would never overly sympathize with me. If I mm. came home and somebody was mean or unkind or I was struggling, her mantra was, so what are you going to do about it? Mm. And that, that always put me in the driver's seat. And she said that to me all through college. It was, I will support you, but what are you going to do about it? I can think of one battle that she went and fought for me. It was with an adult at a school and I couldn't navigate my way through it. Yeah. And, um, you know, she, so she went to bat on my behalf. That's the only time I ever remember her saying, step aside and I'll, I'll step in here. Wow. Wow, you know, um, so what are you gonna do about it? I really like, the way you framed that to me was not, I'm leaving you out alone. It was framed that that gives you so much power and control because you're now in the driver's seat. Mm -hmm. What an empowering statement. She must have been, or is, she has she passed her? Yeah, she's 89. So she's still, amazing. She's what still amazing. A what a mother. I love that. I wish I would have done that. I overparented for sure. So well, it might have been context, though, too, Erin. Yeah, fairness. Yeah. You know, it was it was a time and a place, and she was busy. She was a working mom. You know, she what, worked full time. Where did she work? She was a dental assistant before that in oh. our little rural community. She was the postmistress. She oh. um, put a bag of mail in the back of the Volkswagen and drove through a canyon in the ice and snow and. Um, ran a little store and, you know, my father worked on a ranch and I, they just did everything they could to put food on the table and make ends meet. And so um, we, we have a strong work ethic in our family. That was really modeled for me. But she, um, she, she's still extraordinary, but she loves to learn new things and she's mm -hmm. full of life and loves to read. And so her mind was full and rich with ideas and conversation and she's a very engaging person she has a mm. lot of friends so i think that role modeling carried into my personal space and into my work life as well for sure that the work ethic the tenacity 
it's neat to hear you talk about my mom. And I, of course, selfishly could not do this interview without bringing up um, my mom because you were such good friends with her. And so every time I see you or talk to you, it just brings back such good, warm feelings. And I'm just wondering if you could share with me maybe a life lesson or something that you may have learned from my mom when you worked oh, together. There were so many. What I love so much about your mother is she was a mentor to others and she was mm -hmm. a respecter of none. It didn't matter your position. Mm -hmm. Your mother cared about everybody. And I remember being mm -hmm. a new young principal and just trying to pretend I knew what I was doing. I <laughs> had total imposter syndrome. And she was one of the first to come sit by me, to reach mm -hmm. out to me, to, um, you know, to just help, you, you remember vividly your mother's smile because you have her face. You know, she just had the kindest eyes mm -hmm. and the best smile, and she would light up a room, and you would just feel warm mm -hmm. being near her. So yeah. I loved being in her presence, but I always was so mesmerized of where she started and how she ended up where she was. You know, it's like a similar Similar path. backgrounds, for sure. And that, I, I watched her and thought, wow, you really can do anything that you've mm -hmm. set your mind to. Yeah. But she modeled the most important thing, and that was always relationships at the foundation of everything. Um, and, and again, oh, I see you. <laughs> I see her in you. Uh, so well, she, thank I, you. I know that she's proud, so proud of you as she is watching over you, because you are the epitome of your mother plus. She would be the first to tell you, yes, you took these great things for me, Erin, and then you added in spades to what, oh, to what you did. Because well, you've thanks. made your, you're making your way. You, you haven't made it yet because I know you're going to keep moving and shaking. But you are where you are because, like your mother, you're willing to step in where needed. You're not afraid to forge a new path. You see a need and you make it happen. And then you care about people. I show it because of you. I love mm. your, I love the causes that yeah. you believe in. But I love I love learning from you and um, being around oh, you. Thank you have that you. same, that same subtle yet vibrant and magnetic charisma that your mother had. Mm, that's that's way beyond what I thought you would say. But wow, that sure made me tear up. I love the relationship element though, because you know in Utah, um, it, when I it, the connections, the relationships are so important here, and I love hearing about like a small town and then knowing. Like my father-in-law was the what drove the mail truck in Mighton, Utah, right? Said he was a rancher and a school teacher, and how they. And I was talking to Kelly Booth this morning um, from New Ames, and we were talking about Eden and reminiscing on growing up fairly rural and having horses in the horse pastures, and you know, um, having feeding animals and getting out that work of the small town. And I think there's some camaraderie, especially with rural, when you hear people from other rural areas, which is neat. And then I love how Utah just builds on relationships. Oh, you know so-and-so. Oh, you know so-and-so. I, I went to school with them. Did you know my cousin? And I think that your work, your reputation with the legislature, with policymakers, is because of that genuine, authentic relationship. They, they know that what Sid Dixon says is what it is what it is. She's telling you how it is, and we trust and um, have developed a relationship with her. Do you find that um, when you look at our legislature and our policymakers, do you think that the times are finally changing, that there's more of an investment, deeper long-term investment in education for Utah students? I believe our legislature cares deeply about children. They're 
fathers, their grandfathers, their uncles, their neighbors. And um, my experience has always been an interchange about children and finding that, um, that, that care and concern. Now, collectively, when they're making decisions about the budget mm -hmm. and taxpayers' money, they have a lot of things to juggle. And I have seen just a deeper commitment to understanding what it takes mm -hmm. to provide access and opportunities for our students. And they have a lot of varying interests coming at them, even in the education space. People coming forward saying, I have this answer. I have this new tool. I have this piece of right. software. I have this idea. And they're all great ideas. But at the end of the day, uh, working collectively on what will change the trajectory in outcomes for our students, for each and every single student. How can we provide them access to a high quality education and give them opportunities so that they have choices about their future? I think that's something, that's a question that everyone wants answers. Sure. And you you want a return on your investment. So mm -hmm. you, we hear a lot about accountability uh, and, and we should be accountable. It's taxpayer money. So I feel like we've had some great interactions over the past few years, and um, and I have seen a real commitment. I think we've we've come a long way in that mistrust mm -hmm. between um, le the legislature and public education, and then at the same time we we're living in this world of transparency and right clickbait mm -hmm. and social media, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. So I think we're in this time and space where it's even more important to have great transparency and and really uh, lean into to authentic partnerships. Parent, parents are their child's first teacher, so making sure that we have those authentic partnerships with parents. And when parents are happy, the legislature is happy, you know, because- And they, vice versa. Right, yeah, they, I mean, <laughs> yeah. they hear from their constituents sure. in fairness. So if the public's happy with public education, then we have investments by those who serve the public. Right. Well, there's so much still that I could ask you, um, but I, I want to definitely be cognizant of the time. I'm very grateful for your servant leadership with our state. I know you know, know it takes a village, and I know that you um, rely heavily on others for their opinions and their thoughts and their perspectives. Um, your humility in leading our um, educational system really is is just so, we're so grateful, honestly. And as a parent, and as a taxpayer, and as a voter, and, and I'm a big fan, and I'm just really grateful that you're in the role that you're in and you're sharing this part of your life with us. So thank you so much. Thank you, Erin, and likewise, thank you for being yeah. so committed to young women in our system. Yeah, my pleasure for sure. So that is it for this episode of We Hear Her for the Women Who Succeed podcast. And we will catch up with you next time. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for taking time to hear her. Join our efforts and learn more at womenwhosucceed.org. A big thank you to our sponsor, the Clark and Christine Ivory Foundation.